I'm Michael Troughton, and this is the Sirens of Audio. Oh, my giddy aunt. There are some corners of podcasting that have bred the most terrible things. Things which act against everything I'm trying to edit. Things like Philip's dog constantly barking and his family having loud parties just outside the door. These things must be cut. I've got a green screen up today, so it's not cooperating. So I'm actually holding it with one hand. And when I let it go... green behind you. Oh, yeah. I see. <laughs> yeah, so there it goes. Ah! And if you're in Tasmania, I'll take you on a bushwalk. I don't do dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Finally, so- something manly. I'll be doing something that Zoe will be so impressed. audiophiles this is the sirens of audio the show that explores the universe of doctor who in the audio medium i'm Dwayne, and i'm philip g'day Dwayne. g'day audiophiles g'day philip how are you going today i am doing well thank you i've got all the family round and having loud arguments and conversations and debates it's been great that's what family's all about isn't it it is the family is wonderful all right we've got a excellent show coming up we're going to be speaking with one of the regular cast members or guest cast members that Big Finish has along, Glenn McCready. He's been in many, many things over, well, he, he seems to have been around in Big Finish longer than I think, because he's only been around since about 2015 or 16, hasn't he? Yeah, 2016, Doom Coalition 3 was the first time he appeared. It does feel like he's in everything, but at the moment, I think during lockdown, he must have had a really good sound system and they just yeah. put him in everything. Yeah, absolutely. But he does do very good accents too, so... Um, he can. He's very variable with his voice. All right. Yeah, he, he really is. So that's coming up shortly. But do you know what, Philip? Before we get started, what do you want to do first, Dwayne? I would like to jump down the rabbit hole. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Philip. Now we're in the rabbit hole. I thought of this topic today while I was out gardening and I had my headphones on and I was listening to something. It was actually the, the, the latest War Doctor Begins series. And it got me thinking, the stories are always really good when I get into them, but for some reason, I, I, I always put them to the side um, and I don't get to them as quickly as I think I should. By the time I hear the story, I think, wow, that was a great story. I should get it get to it a little a little sooner but i believe it's because of one very important thing and i don't know whether this affects you and i I don't think it does affect you so i don't know why i'm even asking you the question but i'm gonna put it to you anyway it's because i dislike the war doctor theme i don't like it it sort of turns me off it does something to my brain um and i i really dislike it and it's one of those things I know is coming right at the start, and it just doesn't 
the music to me is so important. It really connects me with the rest of the story. And I'm pretty sure you don't feel as I do, but is there any kind of music that does that to you or anything that you know is coming in an, on a story that maybe puts you off? Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, no, it definitely doesn't do that for me. I, I mean, you know, though, I'll, I'll often try and save time. I just I just skip, you skip. the uh, yeah. credits. The, often I just, yeah, I skip the theme at the end and the beginning and just get back because I can't, yeah, I have no patience. And yep. um, yeah, the whole yeah. What do you need? What do you need titles for? You don't need no. And so I do actually appreciate them once or twice. And listening to the War Master recently, I actually always listen to that. I love that War Master thing. Oh, that theme is sensational. Yeah, so, so I, I've, got, I actually, I've got no issues with that theme at all. Yeah, I don't jump that one. And the one of them's different. I think it's the the final episode is a different. They've they've done a different thing with the theme. It's very different. Which I thought, oh, because often I would have jumped that sort of thing. I missed it. Um. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think there's anything like that that particularly. Well, I'll, I'll tell you another another set of stories that does the same yeah, thing. Yeah, go tell me your quirks. This is great. Because um, I I think that the the original Eighth Doctor theme done by theme done by David Arnold is the quintessential Eighth Doctor. And when that was changed for the second series, it wasn't the first series. The second series of Lucy Miller, that turned me off. And I really, really disliked the theme for those stories. Do you recall the massive change in direction? I do. I mean, I remember loving, loving the David Arnold theme and thinking it just captured the ear perfectly. And so I certainly wasn't, yeah, it's not enough to turn me off though. I mean, I, I did think it wasn't as good, but I mean, I, th I think music is often a taste thing. And I know there's particular composers that I, I sort of just hear now and just go, oh, I'm, you know, I know it's going to be good because I can see who the composer is. Or I, actually, I tend to pick the composer along the way. But once again, capturing the era. Actually, I've been, I've been listening to The Ark this today. And the music in there is just so evocative of The Ark in space. I, I, I should look to see. I'm assuming it's Briggs he's done it. Nick Briggs, I haven't looked to see. But um, I'm loving, loving, loving the music in The Ark. But it's... It's not pleasant to listen. <laughs> so that's, that's awful. It's not the sort of music you want to put on and listen to. I mean, I, I would happily put on a, a Murray Gold CD and just listen to the music. And there's other there's other classic series composed I'd do that with. This, this stuff I wouldn't want to sit down and listen to, but it is so perfect for the story. And so when you capture the right music for the story, I think it works really well. Only occasionally do I think they've really missed it, and this has actually not happened for a while. But yeah, no, I, I, I don't know why. I do put off listening to some stories i don't know why either but it's just sort of it's not, not the high on the priority I, I certainly have a certain list that i go through i mean tom baker's always get played immediately um i guess it's maybe that's showing my thing um at the moment chris eccleson's get pa played immediately um blake seven will jump everything but i mean the war doctor i put off for a while but it was just because it wasn't quite the third doctor i put off for a while as well but I, when i get to it i really enjoy it but second doctor i've got to listen to straight away so I guess we all have our little foibles, don't we? I guess we do. But it was just I just thought it was interesting that it is the music, I think, that puts me off. I dislike it so much. I can't, uh, I can't, got, I can't even tell you what, you what the theme is. And I, can't, I can't listen to Doctor Who without the Doctor Who theme. I think that is vital to the story, is to hear the theme. So I don't know how you can just go and skip it. It, it baffles me. It gives me a bit of a... Short circuit. I, well, I, just can't I, could, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even tell you what the War Master theme is. I can't. 
I can't hear it in my head at all. So I, I need to, um, at some point when we stop recording, I'm going to quickly stick it on my yeah. CD, my phone, and just have a listen. And think. It's a really aggressive, like, hammer-on anvil type, do-do-do-do-do, you know? And oh, see, just, I love that. Da, yeah. da. Oh, so yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's what they use for all. No, I love it. And the, the Time yep. War they use it for too, don't they? I think they do use it for the eighth Doctor. Oh, the time I love it. Yeah, well. it's, 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 yeah, you're right. It's, it's um, the, yeah, they're using hammers and as percussion and pipes and oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I, I just, I just don't like it. It's don't like yeah. it. Yeah, I don't like it. Anyway, that's our little rabbit hole topic, which was more about me than about you this time, Philip. So let's <laughs> crawl on up out of it. And it's interesting that you mentioned Glenn McCready's first story because I thought I'm gonna go I'm gonna dig that out and listen to it. So I, I had to listen to that earlier today. And so his story was called Eighth Piece and uh, he, he appeared in that one and I think the one that followed uh, because the eighth eighth piece ended on a cliffhanger. So um, it was it was interesting. He he played a great part. So I'm I'm curious to to um to talk to Glenn about uh, his different accents and and how all that came to be it's fascinating the talent some of these actors have but we'll talk to him in a minute but here is a trailer for his first appearance for Big Finish it's Doom Coalition 3 It is time to complete my masterpiece time to start the countdown until doomsday Coming soon from Big Finish Productions Doctor Who Doom Coalition 3 the archives were the most highly secured place on Gallifrey. Probably even more so now after what happened last time. What happened last time? The Eleven happened. Threads in the web of time are being unpicked by whatever this is. They're in flux, but only in relation to one another. Hear that fizzing noise? That's my brain. Ah, oh, don't worry, Liv. I have a seventh sense for this kind of business. In the name of King Henry, I demand that you identify yourselves. Intent hostile. Threat will be neutralized. None will stand in our way. I'm Ruth, Helen's daughter. Her daughter? Superville, Com. Superville? Well, that hardly sounds like an evil organization. What the devil? A devil? Not today, Thomas. Today I'm your guardian angel. I am the clocksmith. I am an artist, and I am everywhere. Time lords, honestly, you spend your whole life believing there's only one left, then they start turning up like buses. Big Finish, we love stories. I've, I've never seen it, but this must be what happens. What happens when? When he regenerates. So one of Big Finish's most commonly used actors at the moment is Glenn McCready. Glenn, welcome to the Sirens of Audio. Thank you so much. Hi, hi. It's great having you with us. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself, particularly tell us about uh, being a kid and why you want to be an actor. Well, why I wanted to be an actor, I think, I think there are two major influences, and I think they were James Bond and Doctor Who. And I think as a kid, at some point, I must have realized that neither of those franchises are documentaries. And so then I think my mind was blown. And I thought, well, I could be anybody, any when, and I could move away from 
perhaps the boredom of my own personality regularly. And, and that was how I suddenly decided that acting could be for me. And that was before I understood the concept of long-term unemployment and, uh, and other things that, that go along with an acting career. But yes, I can, I can trace my wanting to be an actor directly, directly to Gallifrey and to the Secret Service. Well, let's start with the Secret Service. How old were you when you discovered James Bond? What was your first Bond film? My first Bond film would have been a Sean Connery movie, would have been on television. And I'm thinking it would probably have been Goldfinger or You Only Live Twice, those being the ones that really made a huge impression. Um, Goldfinger, the the opening sequence was just terrific. You know, he comes out of the water and I I believe there's a bird on his head on the wetsuit that he's wearing and um, just extraordinary stuff. And there's a full tuxedo with no creases when he peels the rubber wetsuit off. And then You Only Live Twice was, I just remember terrific things like, you know, the floor opening up and him flying down. Oh, incredible. Incredible. it's It's still the biggest set ever made. Yeah, yeah, and had to be filmed from a distance, didn't it? They, the camera was outside, the set was inside, but they had to back right up to get it all in the in the yeah. frame. Incredible, incredible. Yeah, yeah. What so, was, your first, what was your first Bond at the movies then? Bond at the movies. Well, it would have been, it would have been Roger Moore, and so I think of you to a kill, or possibly Octopussy. I think at the pictures. Yeah. And I'm just trying to work out how old you are. Oh, well, I can can clear that up. (laughs) Yes. No, no, I was was born, born in 69, May 69. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. A child of the space age of the moon landings. Yeah. Well, my first one was for your eyes only. Ah, it was interesting. My first Connery Bond was Never Say Never Again. That was the first time I saw Connery. So it's very. Yeah, I did. I, I really, enjoy, I still enjoy that one. Actually, no, I, still, I enjoy, yeah. it, it gets it, it is good. a lot. I enjoy that one too. Good. No, that's all right. <laughs> off, off the track. This, this is another James Bond podcast. I was just interested in terms. Of, it's always interesting to hear what people's. Um, I mean, you, you've mentioned the two big British icons, you know, Bond and Doctor Who. So, how did you get into Doctor Who? I got into Doctor Who. I think when I was aware, when I was watching television and and actually forming memories. I think they must have been rerunning Pertwee um, at the time of gearing up for Tom Baker. I think that that must have been it because Pertwee's the my first Doctor Who memory. And interestingly, um, they it has been said that Pertwee's Doctor is sort of the James Bond Doctor. And I remember his last adventure the planet of the spiders there were there was a was a speedboat chase there was a car chase it's like he he was ticking off this this wish list the it felt like. and also yes yes and and he isn't he the only doctor ever to have dragged up i'm not sure about anyone else if there was any doctor it would have been matt smith wouldn't it <laughs> yep I mean, he, I mean, we, he also appeared um, naked first, I think, in that shower scene and showed off his tattoo, which was a uh-huh. bit of a shock. He only showed that, I think, at Ambassador of Death and then made sure he never showed it again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's his ha- Navy days. 
Yeah, yeah. So everyone in yeah. the navy had tattoos then. So, how big was your fandom of Doctor Who? Did you just was it casual observer? How how much were you into us? I think as a kid, I think it was very, it was very strong. But I didn't. I mean, I had annuals. Um, I remember I had the toy TARDIS that you spun the lamp and you could press red or green and and it would stop and the doctor would either be there or he would have vanished. And I do remember as well, I had um, the action figure. And is this legend correct? That they, 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 they put the head of one of the Avengers, one of the new Avengers, Gareth, I can't remember his surname, and, and, and instead of a, a likeness of Tom Baker, thinking that no one would notice. Does that ring any bells with you? Who's Gareth Hunt? I didn't Gareth Hunt. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they do look very similar. Yeah, yeah, and they just thought they, they'd get away with that. Would, so would you that. have it there behind you, Philip? No, I wouldn't have got a character <laughs> option. Don't, don't be rude. I, did, I, did my, my... A, I had a Leela doll, but I didn't have the Tom Baker one. Right, right. And, and I, I, I remember as well, there was an emotional connection and I, I read stories that Tom Baker would appear at transmission time and knock on people's doors and, and watch an episode with a family, he'd be in full costume and, uh, and watch. And I, as a kid had this enduring fantasy that during school assembly, the TARDIS would materialize. Tom Baker's doctor would come out breathless, say, I need, I need help. There's only one person who can help me. It's, McCready, Glenn McCready, can is he here? And he would he would grab me, and the headmistress would have to. I mean, obviously it's Tom Baker, it's 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 the it's the doctor, and you have to let me go. And I'd probably be back in less time than it took to have the adventure, of course. Anyway, with time travel, but that yes, so I was emotionally really connected. But I think my my fandom, proper fandom, stretches I think from um, John Pertwee to the end of Tom Baker. Really, when I was sort of seriously um gripped and then i sort of drifted so i'm a i'm a lapsed a seriously lapsed Hoovian. i'm afraid is that all right can i still stay that's fine you you record the stuff now it's not a problem okay okay i guess you would have been getting into acting around the time that doctor who finished so did the thought ever cross your mind that you might get into the the tv show and were your hopes dashed in the late in those late 80s well, yes, it's interesting. It's interesting about that with me and in vision work. One of the things that actors will do during quiet times is they will pay to work with casting directors and get tips and tricks. And, and, and of course, the actors fervently hope they'll be remembered by the casting directors they they work in front of and and later called in for auditions and so on. And I did a casting director workshop, which was brilliant. It was for commercial castings. And the casting director had hired a proper casting suite. And we got to be sitting where the client would sit. We got to obviously audition for commercials. And we got to watch it all afterwards on a screen. And he was incredibly, um, he really praised the work that I did because um, he said, I thought you'd be terrible because when you introduced yourself on camera, you were just so big and animated. And and I thought you'd be appalling because the scene that I gave you is so minimalist. And but no, you were what you did was a masterclass, you know, well done, well done. And so at the end, we're showing our portfolios and I'm sure the casting director is desperate to, you know, not miss last orders at the pub and get away as fast as they can. And um and he got to, to look at my pictures and he said, well, you know, the thing is, the thing is, Glenn, I 
I would never call you in for a casting. Um, if the breakdown said, the casting breakdown said, best friend, I wouldn't call you in. If the casting said, oh, I don't know, office worker, I, I wouldn't call you. you know, if, the, if the casting breakdown said man, I, I, would, I wouldn't call you in ever. And I was so stunned. I didn't think to ask, why? Why is that? I just thought, ah, this explains why I don't get seen for very many envision things and i see and around about six or seven years after leaving drama school i left drama school 1991 um in the last century and i waited about seven or eight years before i recorded an audio demo and started to think about audio and i'm really glad that i did because i think round about the turn of the century is when my audio work really started to to gain pace and I always I got into acting to be like one of my heroes Laurence Olivier who was able to totally transform to the extent that people could be in the theatre watching him and then at the interval saying to each other so so have we seen Sir Laurence is he has he been on and they checked the program they've been watching him totally unaware that their idol has been, you know, plying his trade in front of them. So the chameleon thing was the thing that appealed to me with acting. And in vision, you are, um, well, in your career, actually, you leave drama school having played 95-year-old people and having done all sorts of things. And then you're sort of, you're, you're narrowed down and you're boxed in and boxed in. And there are fewer and fewer things that people feel you can play, especially if you play something really, really well. They think, well, that's that's what, that's what that guy does. And uh, so with the audio, you're often auditioning self-tape. You know, you're recording something on your phone, or if you're lucky enough to have a, a home microphone, you're doing a bit of self-tape. And um, there is a bit of luck of the draw there, because if you're in the room auditioning, someone can say, oh, can you just tweak that? Can you just do it a little bit like, and, and you can. And when you're self-taping, you just have to hope that what you've self-taped has what they are looking for or has the thing they don't know they're looking for. And they go, oh, well, I didn't think it'd go like that. And they grab you and they employ you. So audio for me has been an absolute lifesaver and a really fulfilling, challenging, uh, challenging thing. And, and, and one of the things I try to, to do is, is if I'm characterizing, if I'm played it back, five six seven years later at the point where i've forgotten that i may have played a particular thing and if i'm played it back and i don't recognize myself that's something i'm aiming for in a way i want to be as far away from boring old me as i can as i can get when did you work out you could do voices because i must admit i regularly do not pick you in stories at all it's only as I look at the credits afterwards or listen to the credits that I hear you're in it. So I go, oh, was he in this one as well? Because you managed to do a lot of different voices, a lot of different accents. Where did you work out you had that skill? I think I worked worked it out slowly. Um, I, I never feel... There are always actors who, who are in, incredible vocal chameleons. And I just think, oh, I couldn't do that. I wish I could do that. Um, I think that's the case with lots of actors. They feel that their own work is somehow not as worthy as all the work they hear and admire. Um, I think 
I think my work in video games, uh, that, you know, I'd, you would do a character, so you're employed for a character, and then if there's a bit of time left, if they've booked you for an hour or two hours and they've got 15 or 20 minutes, well, there's five or six characters. Maybe we can, yes, you could just do, do those. And so that stretched me. And I suppose audiobooks really pushed me to find other voices. And audiobooks, it's a strange thing. Rather like gamers, um, people who listen to audiobooks are very vocal and very particular about what they want. So if you go on a site like Audible and look at reviews that, that I've got for certain things, there's one particular reviewer said, I, I, I only wish I'd got this recording on CD so that I could have had the pleasure of breaking them and hurling them across the room. I hated this voice so much. Um, and then luckily someone else will will review and say, well, actually, you know, I've, I've heard him in other things. This may not be the best thing he's ever done, but he certainly deserves to continue living. Why not just give him that? Um, and so when you're doing an audiobook and you're prepping it, you, you and I, I was so lucky, the first audiobook I did was for BBC audiobooks, which then became Audio Go, and that was in Bath. And they sent me a how to do it sheet. And they said, well, you must assemble a cast list as you go. So you know when people appear and you just note down anything that the author might say about their voice or their accent. And then I try to I might, you know, put an actor's name next to a character for their rhythm or for a certain vocal quirk that they may have that will help me differentiate one from another. Of course, characters can sound similar if they never meet. That's that's um, that's one thing. But it's interesting. Another person writing a review said, well, I do hate it. I hate it when they try to do all those voices, all those voices. Well, oh, it's just so annoying. I wish they wouldn't do that. And then others will say, well, I don't know who's speaking. I've got no idea who's speaking to who. So it's, it's quite um, a bit of a minefield. But doing audiobooks is particularly children's books. I, of all books that I do, children's audiobooks are among the very best because children really will not put up with padding. They won't put up with anything that's not germane to the adventure at hand. So they have to be so so much more, I wouldn't say better written, I would say more excitingly, more grippingly written. Um, and of course, a lot of the characters are incredibly extreme. They might be cartoon characters or, um, you know, aliens, monsters and all that sort of thing. And and I can, uh, you know, draw on, 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 on actors I admire and get to try on their voices um, in an audiobook character cast list. And so I suppose audiobooks, the animation work that I've done, the video game work that I've done. Um, and so by the time I got my first big finish adventure, I think, which, which was the, the box set Doom Coalition 3, um, I, was, I was sort of ready. And I, I met Nick Briggs at BBC Audiobooks in Bath. We were both recording a book. So there would be so three or four booths there and then a lovely green room where we'd all come together and have a smashing lunch and gossip. And uh, and you never knew who you were going to meet. And so I I realised Nick was Nick and I, I'd known about Big Finish. And I said, oh, 
I don't suppose I could audition for you at some point in the future. Yes, yes, of course. You write to me and write to me here and and I'll sort that out. And I think, I think from that meeting where he was very kind and polite uh, to that first job, I think it was something like 12 years between the meeting and the first job. So it wasn't quick then. uh, (laughs) It wasn't quick. Uh, and uh, but my goodness, it was welcome. It really was welcome. And uh, so that first adventure that was directed by Ken Bentley, and uh, I knew it, it had gone okay because he wanted me to come back the next day and be killed a lot to be various soldiers. And sadly, <laughs> and unusually, I had two jobs in a row. I had two days of employment um, side by side, and I couldn't. And I was really gutted that I couldn't come back straight away. But I thought, yes, yes, if they, if, you know, if they want to re-employ me, then, then hopefully my first job was, was okay. And I'm so glad to hear you say that you can't spot me, because of course, I'm very aware that I may have been on, shall we say, heavy rotation. And I feel quite self-conscious about that. Uh, you know, and I would hate people listening to go, oh, God, him. Oh, it's him. Uh, fast forward. Um, but luckily, no. And hopefully, if you're not even knowing that it's me, then then hopefully, I, I even if I get on your nerves, you don't know it's me. So it's, it's win-win. <laughs> Can I just say that today I, I was listening to that story. I decided to listen to that in preparation for our chat now. And you were playing a much older character, the abbot, in, in that story. Yeah. So you're playing an older character. And yesterday... I was listening to the latest Space 1999, where you're playing a younger Australian guy. So, and oh, yes. there, there, there is just no, there is no comparison between the voices. I can assure you of that. So don't ever feel, oh. <laughs> ever feel worried about oh. that because you, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Well, Space oh, 1999, you. you both play both Paul Murrow and Alan Carter. Yeah, two parts. Yeah, the, the, which are two of the biggest heroes in the show, but you can't recognise, and you don't sound like you now either. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, uh, that that talking about feeling self-conscious <laughs> when Nick engineers things so that they speak to each other. I'm thinking, oh no, 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 they're coming too close together. And how is my Australian? Is it okay? Is it? Uh, 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 that was the thing I was <laughs> dreading coming up with you, gentlemen. Uh, it's, it's it's interesting <laughs> because when if most of the big Finnish audience is is going to be British. Um, at, at least at least half the audience, and then the rest of the audience is going to be spread out all over the world. Um, uh-huh. So it's interesting when you hear um, people of a different nationality doing accents because there are little things, very very little things that that I was listening to, going, "Oh yeah, I can I can hear that little difference there." But I'm and I I knew I was going to talk to you about this, but um, y- you just know that the British the British audience is not going to pick up on it at all. And potentially other Australians aren't going to pick up on it either because there are slight differences in the Australian accent as well. Uh Um, uh So would you agree with that, Philip? I I was actually going to say, it's interesting because Nick Tate, who played Alan Carter in Space 1999, is Australian. Yes, yes. the accent he put on in Space 1999 isn't his normal accent. So I've seen Nick on stage several times and in lots of Australian productions. And it's not the same accent. His normal talking voice is not the accent he puts on in Space 1909. So, in fact, you've actually captured the perceived view of the Australian accent. 
<laughs> quite yes. well. But yes. Can I just say the one thing that came out and jumped out at me the most? And I don't know if the actor on um, the original TV show pronounced the name uh, Sandra like Sandra, because Australians would say Sandra. There's Sandra. no way mm-hmm. to say Sandra. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if there was any thoughts about that. Do you recall that, Philip? Whether, no, she, whether she, he used to. But he did say Sandra on the show. He did. He did. Yeah, well, there so- you go. So it's it's authentic, <laughs> authentic to the show. Was he trying not to do an Australian accent, or because it's interesting? Because I did listen to him, and I thought, you know, what he's doing is really—it's very, very subtle. And I wonder if he was sort of concerned, thinking of because, of course, I think it achieved a pretty global audience that show. I, I, I read an interview that he did. This is this Nick Tate. So I actually know Nick Tate quite well because of lots of stuff he's mm. done. Um, he, he lives in Sydney. Um, when he, because he is Australian, has quite a strong Australian accent when he wants to have. He, mm-hmm. But his decision in Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, because the character was Australian in Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, but his view was it was being set twenty thirty years in the future, and so therefore that the accents would be more global. So he was yes. deliberately pulling back the strong Oka accent, but trying to emphasize certain words to be Australian. So yes. it ends up being yeah. quite an unusual mixture. Yes. But he was he was trying to think, well, in 30 years' time, how will Australian sound? And he was trying to do that. I don't know, what, don't know whether he succeeded Australian or not. Australian accent. I, well, it's, I mean, I, I, he was a fan. He is a fan favorite, isn't he? And do do say hello from me and and send apologies if you feel that's necessary. Um, but of course, I I had to play it up a bit because of Paul Morrow, and I had to play up. And, and we there was a decision that that Paul Morrow should be a sort of a a bluff Yorkshireman, um, no nonsense. And uh, but they're, and both, so, they're both strong male hero characters. But yeah, as I said, yeah, I, I really hadn't realised it was the one actor playing them to both. I think it was nicely done. When when you play against each other, you you have scenes together. Do you actually do do it all in one take, or do you do one voice first and then the other one? How do you do it? I I try to do it all in one take because it will, um, in terms of time, uh, because recordings go at a terrific lick. Um, which is great because uh, it just it means that you are really instinctive. Um, so I try, I try to get it all together because they're fairly um, clear in my mind. Um, but occasionally, I remember, I remember the first lockdown drama that Big Finish did, which was Shadow of the Sun. Uh, and they didn't know if they were going to be able to do it. And and this is where Big Finish really is so special because their, their ambition, their, you know, what they're pushing for all the time is just so terrific. So I got the call quite early into the first big lockdown. So this would have been in early 2020. Can you um, come along and, and, and do this this recording? Sort of, we'll do it via Zoom. So I had Zoom on my phone within, in my headphones. And my original mic, when I started recording Lockdown Adventures, wasn't this one. I upgraded and it was so funny. It was a bit like um, when I would join these these recordings, especially when we moved from Zoom to CleanFeed, and it turns out that CleanFeed, the person who 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 set that up, is a massive Big Finish fan. 
So uh, did you did you know that, that 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 he's so pleased that we were recording oh. on his wonderful platform? And well, I have and to get a good deal on the subscription. <laughs> I mean, it's, but it, uh, Clean Feed's amazing because you can get you, you can get yourself a free account. I I don't know what the difference is between freed free and paid for, but I haven't needed a paid for account yet. So I've linked, you know, with people in Los Angeles and anywhere in Europe, you know, via clean feed. But initially it was, it was Zoom. So we could see each other, we could hear each other, but there was a bit of a delay. And they trusted that the audio wizards, people like Benji and, 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 and Toby, these incredible sound designers and on and on Jack and amazing people would be able to make everybody sound like they were in the same place. And um, and it was really interesting because the BBC, I don't want to be rude, but they weren't as nimble and fleet of foot as Big Finish. And one of the things they did early on was um, it was the Archers and David Archer is Tim Bentink, who is Simmons um, and a very dear friend in, in Space 1999. We, so we just all spoke of the with archers, him last week, actually. Ah, fabulous, fabulous! And the archers—they uh, just did internal monologues. So a whole episode would be a character's internal monologue, which was, I imagine, very jarring to to the audience. I'm, I'm sure it was all, you know, brilliant, and the actors did extraordinary work. But it was interesting that Big Finish thought, no, 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 if we if we can do this, 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 and this, then yes, it'll all be very simple and and come together. And so they they worked out that it could be done. And so I was one of the few actors in the world who continued acting. And I got to act with so many heroes remotely, David Tennant, um, Ray McAnally. It's extraordinary people, you know, in my in my headphones. And I, and I think it was very difficult for people who hadn't worked for Big Finish prior because they were sort of acting across the internet, whereas I had acted at various studios in person. And where, for example, Space 1999 was first recorded was a, a studio called Moat. Now, do you know how that studio is laid out? Have, has it been described to you? Yes, with all the cubicles. Exactly. So often you couldn't see people you were acting with. Some actors find that very difficult. I just think, well, just listen, listen more, listen more. I met them in the green room. I know who they are. Um, and so when I started recording remotely, and so this is this is my booth. So behind me is a clothes rail with a duvet. Above me is cardboard with foam. This is the box my television came in, covered in a blanket. And this, this is a clothes rail with a weighted blanket. And I can seal it up and I can slide the the other bit of cardboard over and I can box myself in. And, and I've got to the point where it all sounds, it sounds okay. But that isolation isn't a problem because I've, I've met the majority of the people and, and arguably the most important person, the, the producer, the director, uh, I've met them in person. So I'm just on the phone with them. I know them. And that was very helpful. But when I should also say, when I first started, I had the microphone I'd had for years, which I just recorded auditions um, and it was a bit like um, it was a bit like when I would join these clean feed sessions and I would click in um, the engineer would say, oh, it's, it's a bit noisy. It's a bit noisy. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know what that is. But it was a very, very hissy sound. So you get this when I joined. And of course, I'm the only one who can't hear it. And it's a bit like the audio equivalent of having B.O. 
everyone can smell it but you. Um, but a very kind engineer uh, said, well, you, you want to get this, this microphone, that'll sort that out. And, um, you know, you could get this microphone, which is thousands of pounds, but, you know, I think you can get it with that microphone. And so that got tidied up. And, uh, and I never tire of saying uh, how much Big Finish saved my sanity um, during the whole of, of COVID and continues to um, just send extraordinary acting opportunities my way. You know, there are things, I think one of the nicest things that was said, it was around about the time um, Scott Hancock was looking for, he needed uh, Van Helsing for the Dracula prequel and the Dracula sequel. And, uh, and he wanted to know if, if I could do the accent. And David Richardson had a chat with him and said, well, if, if Glenn can't do it now, he'll be able to do it by the first uh, day of recording, which is, is just the nicest thing. And it's not a sort of thing I would ever really believe or think to say of myself. And it and it's things like that 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 gives an actor the rocket fuel that they need. I think an actor's rocket fuel is a mixture of confidence and imagination. And your confidence can get evaporated, eviscerated, destroyed so quickly and so easily. And so if I'm feeling out of my depth or if I'm feeling, oh, should I audition for that or should I just not? Should I just not waste their time? Um, you know, it's comments like that from David and, uh, you know, I, I still remember being at the Soundhouse Studios when he told me that I'd be playing Alan Carter and Paul Morrow. You know, it's these things, they stay with you. And and even recording remotely, recording stories remotely, the, remotely, the actor's imagination paints so many pictures, especially with audio. Audio is such a visual medium. And, you know, at the end of a day's recording, I can see the sets that we were on. I can see the special effects. And, of course, I know from hearing past productions what the sound design is capable of doing. And 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 I binged, listened to um, Dragon's Domain this weekend in the car with my wife, Zoe. And um, Skull in the Sky was such a, a mind bender for me that she pointed out in the extras interview that I, I got a plot point wrong. So I wrote and told Nick about that yesterday, and I'm sure that that will that will tickle him. I got my Alan Carters mixed up with other Alan Carters, and she said, "No, that's not the Alan Carter you were thinking of, Glenn. I can't believe you're you're that stupid. You were in it, and I, even I can see. You know, I'm just hearing it in the car. So, uh, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Do you find it's um? I mean, as an actor, you're just talking in terms of there's few professions where you get rejected as much is probably acting because you keep putting yourself out for jobs or, or the jobs. How do you deal as an actor with so much rejection from so many people? It's interesting rejection. Um, funnily enough, I think with the profession being as crowded as it is, I wonder when I don't get work, whether I have even been rejected at all by that i mean so th there'll be a pile of submissions and the casting people will go down about that far and they will have quite a lot of people to work through and they will probably have a strong instinct that the people they want will be in that in that bit and if i'm here 
then I don't even get rejected. Um, and so that helps me deal with it. Um, if I imagine that a particular audition that I've really taken some pains over and, and I've really become invested in, um, and if I imagine that that's been heard and they really didn't like it or want it, I suppose that can be quite difficult. And it's interesting, you know, I've been in the industry a long time and it never gets easier. And I think even for people who are household names, they're dealing with their own thing. I think a lot of really established actors have this feeling that sooner or later they will be found out and it will be realized once and for all that they can't do it and that they were never any good. You know, they'll, they'll be found out. Um, and so uh, another thing that helped me deal with, with the whole profession was a friend of mine, um, an audio producer and an amazing, uh, amazing writer. She, she's Anna Lee and she did an adaptation um, of 1984, starring Chris Hoy, who you'll know from Unit Adventures. Uh, and I heard that and it was absolutely astounding. But she said to me, what you've got to remember, Glenn, when you're, when you're upset and, and depressed and, and moaning and whining, um, is that everything in the industry is totally, totally random. The greatest, most soaring success and the most abject failure is, is utterly random. And if you can get your head around that, then then you will feel you will feel better. Um, and so, yes, dealing with rejection, I suppose if it is a real rejection, then I, I suppose I would hope that at least they would consider even if what they were hearing or seeing was wrong. Hopefully it was a good day when I recorded it and, and I was doing good work. Brian Cranston said something brilliant. He said, when you're auditioning, you're not trying to get the job. You are taking an opportunity to ply your trade, to do a small performance. And then that's that. But, you know, I said about not being invested. There was a, there was a job. I particularly enjoy narrating video games. I like being the voice of the game. I like setting the scene. I like creating a bit of atmosphere and making the player feel that they're really immersed in this, in this thing that they're playing this adventure. And, 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 and I see games as sort of interactive movies, interactive animation where, you know, the actor is performing with the player, the player is in the drama. And uh, so I'd, I'd auditioned for this narrator of a game. And then the, the, the word came through that the developers wanted it to be older and more sort of wise sounding. So I recorded the second audition and then the production company got involved as well. The audio production company that would record it and mix it and all that. They said, well, actually, I, I want you to sound more like you're a, a character in it. And, 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 and don't be such a storyteller. You mustn't be a storyteller. You should be a character in it. And of course, it's written as narration. It's written as a storyteller. So you have to try and sort of tweak it. And, and so then there was a fourth audition and then it got to the point um where i was told well you know what we've got to do is we've got to get you on the line with the developer and and the developer will say you know exactly and then you can record so a week went by after i was told that and nothing so i i sent an email just to, to the to the production company to say well you know it was said that uh that uh you know i might be auditioning perhaps for the 
developer i'd really like to do this because you know these are other narration jobs that i've done and i had a ball on those and i i'd love to do this and and then of course the email came back please don't pester the team and i thought oh oh dear i've i've overstepped and uh, and that's what actors dread um you know annoying people pestering people being a pain then the word gets round that uh Glemacreed is a pain in the neck and all of that stuff. So, you know, I find I find that very, very difficult to deal with. The, the industry's changed. A lot of companies now, as a point of policy, let you know if you're no longer in the running. And they may even say, you know, we really did enjoy the, the audition, but sadly, you know, there, there were various things. We had to match them up with other voices. And, and so, you know, it hasn't gone your way on this occasion, but we will think of you in the future. So I suppose the short answer of how I deal with rejection, I suppose, really, if I was scrupulously honest, I'd have to say not, not very well, I'm afraid. But it's 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 a part of the job, sadly. I mean, the difficulty with acting is, you know, my brother will say to me, why'd you do it? Moaning on, whining on. Why'd you do it if it makes you so unhappy? And I said, well, no, 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 the work is wonderful. But when the work stops, uh, as it as it does for for many of us, um, then that's that's difficult. And, and I, I suppose something I do is I pay money uh, to subscribe to audition sites. They're what they call pay-to-play sites. And so you you subscribe for a year for rather a lot of money and you're able to audition for projects um, every day. There's something there for you to record and and audition for. So that helps me. So I'm again, if you think of Mr. Cranston, you know, I'm doing my job a little bit every day. It's just that um, there's nothing coming in to stop the bank manager from taking out a contract on my life. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've worked with, I think, all doctors except the seventh doctor. Um, so what's, what, how do you find working with different act, the, the different doctors? Have you found they, they work in different ways or relate in different ways? What are some of the, some of the things in terms of how you work with them? The thing about all of the doctors is that they are so that there's something about working with someone who is so fully realized in terms of their characterization that is is terrific um, because they're, they're returning. And, and uh, you know, I don't realize how many times so many of these doctors have come back to the role. And I suppose each time they must be coming back just a little bit, a little bit further into the character. And, and Big Finish is, is, is wonderful at finding new dimensions and things that keep these actors nourished, interested, um, coming back for more. Uh, I suppose that's the thing that I've found. And I'm trying to, you, you say that I've worked with that many, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure that I've worked with Tim Trelaw yet. I've met him at an, at an audition, and I think I've worked with John Culshaw um, as the third doctor. Because um, I, I, I really do want to work with 
Tim and I, I'm very um, talk about being a pest and pestering. You know, I, I I'll just send emails. I just to let you know, I haven't I haven't worked with X, Y, or Z. I'd really like to work with you know. So um, I, I don't yeah, think you worked with, yeah. I don't think you worked with one, two, or three of the new recasts either. I was <laughs> I, I was just talking about the TV doctors. <laughs> ah, well, except, just except for number two, two, two oh, is coming yes, up. James McCrimmon. Yeah, that's my most recent recording, and it's my first recording back in a studio with everybody in the flesh since covid so that was that was quite momentous because they've allowed me because they quite like my setup and they trust my setup they've allowed me to do readings in which i do as as well i do a lot of reading in one of the most amazing um jobs was i was facilitating the recording of masterful i got to read in with everybody as almost everybody i had a cameo as a butler a hapless butler and maybe someone else as well in masterful but that was amazing i got to work with just so many luminaries uh and uh, and for me as an actor to to do those readings in are they're, they're really really interesting because i get to do i get to suggest different voices just to help out whoever I'm reading in with so that they know you know what's what um but I get to work really closely with people I as I said before I I admire so much um and 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 also it's interesting knowing what I knew about the logistics of the latest space 1999 in terms of actor availability um because it's a it's a starry group of actors um and so listening out for mismatches and not being able to hear them because i didn't get to work with mark um this time around and so listening to the scenes there's a, there's a scene where we have wild man koenig uh who's been in the wilderness for years meeting alan one of the alan carters not the one i thought it was as my wife pointed out um and I, not having worked with him doing that and then listening to it. And it's just, it's terrific. I mean, it helps. We know each other. Um, I should also tell you, there's a, we all got to try on the original costumes on our first day of recording. There's a, a fella, a very lovely fella name escapes me who, who, who collected them and owns them and, and loans them for exhibitions and things. And it being made when it was made, the assumption is that everybody was in nylon, you know, and these awful, and no, it's this gorgeous, heavy cotton, layered cotton, and this massive outsized zip that goes wherever it goes over the side or whatever. And um, so we had comlocks and we had all this sort of stuff. And I had, I had quite a bit of a paunch and, uh, so my belt was very tight. And I remember at the time when we said, oh, we've, we've got enough photographs now, everybody just return your costumes. And I just, I, I didn't undo the belt carefully enough. And, and the comlock flew, was catapulted by my paunch across the room and, and smashed into a couple of pieces on the floor. And I just went, and, and Nick Briggs is, is, is a formidable presence. And I just remember him looking at the floor at these pieces of comlock and then slowly looking back at me. And I thought, oh my God, it was all going so well. They were giving me lots of work and now this. And the guy who um, loaned the costume said, ah, it's all right, it happens all the time. It's a, that's, that's a replica, it's, it's not original. Look, it goes back like this. I had to glue it together, 
looked and I thought, oh, oh. talk about, uh, yeah, near death and then resurrection. <laughs> Time must have slowed down like never before. Oh, you wouldn't believe it, honestly, honestly. Oh, dear, there we are. <laughs> so I've been dieting ever since, ever since. <laughs> I presume you summoned me. To a ruined castle on a desolate rock? Uh, hardly my style. From Big Finish Productions. You may have wondered why I called you here today. To a ruined castle carved from obsidian, decorated with black marble, black drapes, one senses a theme. It's because one of you in this room is a murderer. And it's me! <laughs> Masterful. Ah. My dear master, 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 and master. This is a very great and, may I say, unexpected pleasure. We've never done this before. Got together, had a chinwag, swapped evil schemes. Yes, and knees up. And it's not just to cheer up, you sad sops. No, it's to gloat. Why? Lean in. No, lean closer. The doctor is dead. But I'm going to fight back, and I won't ever give up. Look your master in the eye. The thing is, someone, naming no names, but hint, hint, gloaty McGloatface over there, forgot to invite me. So, I am gate crashing. You're a beautiful woman, improbably. I'm the master, and you will obey me. Your cute little frowny frowns. The seven dwarfs. Schemey, 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 and crispy. That's you, barbecue. Look out there. Planet may not be much, but the sunsets to die for. All those stars, mine. All the planets spinning around them, mine too. All creation bows down and worships me. I am finally the master. The universe hangs in the balance. Boom. Pure raging evil. I've come from another dimension. The stars are going out in my universe, and the threat comes from this one. Miss Grant, listen, listen, listen. We're all the master. We're all the master! <laughs> Big Finish. We love stories. My name is Kitty. Pleased to meet you, Kitty. I'm pausing, waiting to hear yours. It is, uh, uh, I, I am generally referred to as the... Yes? Would you believe Jeremy? So what was it like being back in the uh, green room and in the studio for Second Doctor? Oh, it was, it was terrific. I'd never met Fraser, so that was lovely. Um, so I was listening to him and uh, and we had david david on the line he he wasn't with us but i mean he was just you know so crystal clear i mean it was like that was extraordinary do you mean michael um i was gonna say michael oh sorry michael yes of course yes they're mixing up father and son aren't i that's, that's right no, brothers it? yes brothers ah brothers right yes so patrick is the doctor yes his son michael is carrying the torch yes that's right. That's right. But but the other son has also done lots of other big finish for Peladon and because uh-huh. he played he played in Doctor Who as an actor, and they brought him uh, back. Of course, Peladon. yes. So not not quite as silly a mistake no. as, as at first thought. Um, but oh, it, yeah. of course, the, the thing about the green room is is that's where all the gossip happens, and there's a lot of time where you're not. Um, 
you're not needed. And obviously, uh, if you're at home remotely, you just press mute or you say, send me a text when you want me to come back. And it's all a bit, it's all a bit lonely, but uh, having a, you know, a, a green room or as it is at the sound house, like a little sort of corridor outside the booths. And we're just yammering away about what we're doing, what we wish we'd done, what we just auditioned for that was appalling and that we'd messed up. And, oh, it's just, it was, that was amazing. And I, I didn't quite realize how much, how much I'd missed all that um, because, you know, I was just so thankful to to carry on working during COVID. And so you just, you know, you just think of all the great things and, and, and just, you know, brush under the carpet, the stuff that's not so much, not so much fun. And that is a bit sad about working remotely. Um, and it, it, oh, it was amazing. It really was, it was extraordinary because it had been for me, it had been a really long time since I had the in-person family experience of Big Finish. So three years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, but you record an awful lot of that three years. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I've got now, I think I'm over over 50, I think, over 50 60. adventures I've been. Well, now that's interesting because because so they, do, they, yeah, they do double ups and they do um, a sort of mentions of me. And, yeah, so it I did I meticulously. I think it's about fifty two legitimate independent adventures, and um, you know I'm hoping that they they that they don't retire me for for a couple of years. I'm hoping that they will that they will call call me in. But I mean, you know, you can't blame them for. I mean, they are spoiled for choice. There are so many people, um, you know, like I was for over 10 years wanting to get involved in these adventures. And so, um, you know, I think I've been really, really fortunate. Um, do you have, do you have other things in the can that left yet to come out too? Because I, I know. Oh, that, I do. Yeah, because I know they've got some stuff up to 2030 recorded. Yes. Yes. There. So I have, um, so I think I have, I think about three Tom Baker adventures. They're the ones that are really piling up, um, uh, you know, just getting lots and lots of them uh, recorded. Uh, and so I think there are three released and there's one in particular that I really am looking forward to being released. But the, I recorded that a long, long time ago. Um, and uh Yes, I can't really. I can't tell you. I can't tell you anything. It must, be, it must be very hard, actually, for actors who you know, want their work to be out there because it will get them other work, but they can't actually tell anyone about it. But it's good to have the work. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what's really hard, and it's a bit of a quirk. It's a bit of a thing that I think should be addressed. So I've I've been working on a video game for four years. I think I played. 21 characters but i think there are about three or four that you would say are um sort of larger the the other ones just to sort of here and there just come in and, and and go and uh so four years and it's motion capture so i had all the dots um put on my costume and and all of that so they record your gestures and so on and they allow players to play the game in what they call early access. Um, and so there is my work all over YouTube, but I'm not allowed to say to my mum or anyone, that's me, that's that's me there. Um, and that's really difficult. That's, that's hard because people will say, yeah, I've just found this clip. 
It's appalling. Is that you? Are you responsible for that? And I said, well, no, I can't. Uh, I mean, I suppose that's the upside of it. I, said, I, can't, I can't possibly. Uh, no, so I'm very unlikely. I don't think so. Um, so that's that's tough. With with Big Finish, what I can do there is I can just say to myself, well, that was great fun. That was terrific. And it'll be great fun to hear when it's released. But now I've got to forget. I've got to forget that I did that. Um, and just, you know, so I don't blow anything because I'd hate to do that. I'd hate to ruin um, ruin something. And sometimes as well, Big Finish have to be so careful in terms of their cast lists. Um, you know, say a character's coming back after having died. Um, and so they have to be careful not to give that away on a cast list. It's uh, I wouldn't be them. I really wouldn't be them. And I wouldn't really relish being in charge of their social media very much. It's tough. I would think, wouldn't you? Yeah, tough, tough. Yeah, I, know, I mean, they, I know when they um, killed off Matthew Waterhouse's Edric, they, you know, the reason why they had him appear as a ghost in Time Flight in the next episode was so they could still list him on Radio Times, so the people didn't know he was going in Earthshock, just to because uh-huh. you know, the next episode of Radio Times was coming out before the episode was was shown, so they wanted to, to yes. people, to, you know, not to know because if they looked through the cast list, he wasn't there, they would know he was going. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what what are you what are you most looking forward to in terms of the uh, coming years? What's what, what's your dreams, hopes for acting or coming up? Well, I have been incredibly fortunate to have been in touch with and collaborating with working with Stephen Burkoff. So back in January of 2016, well, in fact, further back sometime in 2015, a very dear friend of mine, an actor called Jay Benedict, um, who was very good friends with uh, Stephen, said, look, Stephen's written this play, Corpse, and uh, it's about Laurence Olivier, John Gielgud, Ralph Richardson, Richard Burton. They're in purgatory, and they're chewing the fat, and then they're joined by Peter O'Toole, and and it's it's brilliant. It's really great fun. And, and I'd like, would you record... Uh, an audition for Richard Burton. Do you think you'd, we'd be able to do that? Uh, I think that was a phone call. I was coming into East Croydon Station when Jay phoned and I said, yes, of course, I'll I'll do that. Now, Stephen Burkoff, when I was auditioning for drama school back in the mid-80s, mid to late 80s, Stephen Burkoff's plays were so incredibly popular with young actors that they all were picking monologues from his plays to audition for Rada and Central and Guildhall, the big drama schools. And it got to the point that Rada banned Stephen Burkoff material from auditions. He's banned. No, no Burkoff speeches, which I think is such a compliment to his writing. But he's he's rather terrifying. He's He's got a reputation from his movies and everything of being really quite scary. And as a, a director, because um, he's a director, he's a writer, he's an actor, polymath extraordinary genius i think isn't understating it really um so he's got this fearsome reputation i always thought in my mind well he is brilliant that man is brilliant um you know he's done metamorphosis but he's also tried to kill beverly hills cop he's tried to kill james bond in octopus he's tried to kill rambo in rambo too you know um so he is brilliant but i am obviously just not his cup of tea and i just have to live with that and that's that so I, I had all this baggage when I recorded the audition, but he, he Burkhoff liked it. And so we did a rehearsed reading, a world premiere rehearsed reading in January 2016. And after the second performance, his assistant at the time said to me, 
in the bar, you know, this play, it's a play for voices. It's made, it's written for audio. It should be an audio drama. So I thought, oh, right, okay. So I started pushing for that to be made, for an audio drama version to be made. So cut to spring of last year, I edited into the audio of that live reading two auditions, uh, successful auditions, for the parts of Elizabeth Taylor and Vivian Lee. It's a friend of mine, Sarah Mann, who I was at college with. We played George and Martha, aged 17, in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Um, she's an actor, has her own acting company down in, in Brighton. She got the job, and um, but nothing happened at the time that she got the job. I think the audition was late 2016, it was recorded, but I edited her auditions into the audio of the live reading because they, they they made this 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 archive copy and i sent it to stephen so that he could hear it hear where these new inserts would would come because the one of the reviewers at the time of the premiere said it's a bit of a masculine feast this it's you know so but it's still very good very good but a masculine feast so he'd he'd written these things and so he said yes glenn we've got he replied straight away called me yes we've got to we got to record it so i assembled auditions and um and one of them was tim bentink auditioning for peter o'toole um another one we've mentioned earlier ben whitehead auditioned for uh ralph richardson Ralph Richardson was originally played by Jay Benedict, who very sadly in April of 2020 was he he died um, in the first big wave of COVID. And so we lost him. And um, so last last spring, so April, May time, we started recording very much in a sort of a big finish style because I wanted Stephen to um, put his Laurence Olivier down first and then everyone else would uh, sort of act opposite his performance. So he'd be free to direct. And then um, he would do a final pass. And we recorded it at a video game studio, OMUK in King's Cross. So we were quite sort of innovative in that. And so as everything got recorded, uh, a genius man called Mark Estdale um, was playing everybody's performances to everybody. So everybody acted with everybody, even if they weren't in the room with everybody. Um and anyway, then we finally we, we we got it put together, polished, and to a point where Stephen really was really thrilled with it. Um, and we released it the Thursday before um, Good Friday this year, and it slowly, through word of mouth, more and more people are are getting hold of a copy. It's sold at stephenberkoff.com. And um, so in terms of my dreams at the moment, you know, I just want it to reach as wide an audience as possible. And you can uh, hear and see the trailer. Uh, I put together a trailer. It's on YouTube. Just type in Stephen Burkhoff's corpse <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and you'll see the, the YouTube trailer. Please share it with everybody. Well, we might, put the, we might put the trailer in here. What you're about to see and hear are the voices and shadows of the dead. And every performance and every gesture is there, all recorded in the great book. You might conjecture that we're given this time to reflect on those we have hurt, those we have wounded in our desperate clamber over their poor broken bones. Yes, think of them. I wish I could, but I can't can't speak of my abominable pride that I pushed my 
poor wife into madness. Poor darling Vivian was pushed further than the poor thing had the strength to go. It became a freak show, a monstrous, insane freak show. Oh, my God. The audience. The audience? They were not so much an audience, but a blood-hungry mob waiting to view wild beasts in a cage, gurgling and frothing at the mouth to see us live in the flesh. I'm not the same person I was, and you'll be pleased to know that I have calmed down. Yes, calmed down, and just like you, wish for a little peace and quiet, a little drink, Bit of a natter with my mates until I pop upstairs. Lizzie. Yes. Yes, darling. It's me. Isn't it unbelievable that I can visit you? But I only have a little time. Just a few moments for lost souls to connect to their past soul mates. For that's what we were, weren't we, darling? Of course we were. Of course we were bonded together like two prime elements... Oh, darling, please, please, please forgive me. I never meant to, ever. Larry, some things are not forgivable. Deliberate cruelty is not forgivable. It is the only thing I could never be guilty of. Darling Vivian, why are you speaking Blanche Dubois' lines from a streetcar named Desire? Am I really? Oh, how observant of you, Larry. And does that matter? Blanche speaks through me. They will be heard again. Stephen Burkoff's Corpse. Available now at stephenburkoff.com. Stephen uh, really enjoys working with me and collaborating with me, and he's got a collection of one-act plays um which you can you can get and he wants to produce them for audio and the first seven are grouped under the theme actors so i'm casting that at the moment i'm getting auditions together for Stephen to hear um then there's biblical uh persecution i think um uh, other themes uh but we're also filming um a full retrospective um documentary i'm filming interviews with Stephen, and he's talking about his life his career nothing's off limits so I'm, I'm i'm doing working on that with him at the moment as well and uh so i have other lovely works some video games as i said and uh some audio drama work but um steven burkoff miraculously amazingly is keeping me really busy in the most brilliant brilliant fantastic way so that's a bit of a long answer to that question but that's that's where i am right now can i just ask Recently, uh, Tim Bentick on his social media, I saw a photo that he posted there. It was with a bunch of people. You were standing right next to him. Was that related to Corpse? It was. So as part of the London's Highgate Festival, um, a friend of mine runs it and he said, would the cast of Corpse be interested in doing a live reading? 
um, on Sunday, the 11th of June. So yes, we we just did that. Uh, I can't believe I didn't mention that. But yes, there was a full cast live reading in front of a sold out house. They could have sold it out uh, twice over, I've since learned. And the venue is interested in uh, putting on a full production, uh, which Stephen is very excited about doing as well. So yes, Corpse Live happened. And it's been filmed in fabulous 4K and may well find it, its way, uh, scenes may well find it, their way into uh, into the documentary. Listen, Glenn, thank you so much for your time. Learned heaps. My pleasure. And really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Take care. So, here we go. Tonight we're going to find Cardiff's biggest secret, Torchwood. From Big Finish Productions. Torchwood Among Us, Volume 2. This is Robert Wilson, just one of the abandoned voices of Voloshnik. Is anyone coming for us? <laughs> Looks like I'm going to have to save your life, just like old times. Torchwood. All last year she said it was a political conspiracy. That was then! Hello, friends. I know where you are now, and I know what I will do next. I didn't want it to be like this. Nobody move! Torchwood has been set up. Maybe I'm all that's left of the old, but a new Torchwood can rise. Such a nasty place, isn't it? Such a nasty, nasty place. Big finish for the love of stories. Snipers on a roof reminds me of my gap year. Well, that was a lovely chat with Glenn McCready, and I'm sure we're going to hear lots more from him, Philip. Yeah, he's a charming fellow, and what, what, what other people would have heard is some of the musical stuff that we chatted about. Um, yeah, he's, he's in one of my favourite musicals. I'm, so. I'm cutting that. Yeah, I know you are. So that's what I'm just saying now. <laughs> no one would have heard all my conversation about one of my uh, favourite musicals, which he played. I heard it, folks. I heard Stephen it every it's every syllable. Yeah, he just. It's, it was actually interesting what Grant Glenn had to say about uh, his his hissing microphone, and um, he needed to get it replaced to get rid of that hiss. And it's interesting. Your microphone has similar issues, but yours, instead of doing a hiss, it sometimes barks like a dog, and sometimes there's people talking. <laughs> In the background, I can hear it makes these strange noises, Philip. Yeah, trouble with having a large family <laughs> and too many dogs. Sorry about that, Dwayne. Uh, I just keep having a go, don't I? I think so. I think we should move on. So I think you have something to recommend, don't you? Yes, I do. And normally I would, except it's your turn to go first. I don't mind. Don't you? <laughs> we'll go first then if you don't mind. <laughs> I'll never get out of this. Okay. I am going to recommend... Uh, the second in the Once and Future set. I think many people would know that Big Finish is celebrating the 60th anniversary with a series of goodness knows how many stories. And I think I may recommend the first one a month or so ago anyway. So th I'm going to now mention the second one, Once and Future. This is The Artist at the End of Time with Peter Davison and his real-life daughter and the Doctor's daughter, which I can't think of her name at the top of my head. Georgia. Georgia, Georgia Tennant. Tennant. Of course it is, and Colin Baker playing you the curator. 
Um, we have seen Colin Baker play, play the creator in the last box set, or the last couple of box sets of Stranded. So originally it was Tom Baker playing it at the start of the Stranded series, and then they moved to Colin Baker. I'm not quite sure why they did that, to be honest. I've never asked, asked that question. I wonder why they moved, but it, it worked fine. And so they've got Colin Baker as the curator back, playing actually quite an aged character. And he actually puts on his older voice. It was very interesting because Colin Baker, you know, the Sixth Doctor, is in some cameo scenes along with first, second, third, seventh. I think I think of the cameos in this one. And it's interesting when Colin's putting on his young Doctor's voice, how different it was to his old creator's voice. It was markedly different um, hearing the two voices in the same on the same CD. It did remind me a bit of the Benny Summerfield story, The Extinction Event, which is a story all about set in a museum and there's all these very valuable pieces because the planets have been destroyed. And we actually find out that the people who are selling these items have actually gone and destroyed the planets. So there are some things that made me think of that story. It's by James Goss, so it's got a lot of his wit and charm in it. It's got a series of interesting events that happen it's sort of set at the end of time. It's got the, the, the Time Lord, the Doctor still going through his regenerational confusion of going backwards and forwards. And so there are cameos of other Doctors. But it's actually quite a strong Peter Davison story. He and Georgia Tent are wonderful together as the Doctor's daughter. They have some lovely scenes. It's, it's fun her calling him Dad. Um, it's really worth listening to. Have you, have you heard it yet? No. No, I haven't. Okay. So it, you talk about the beginning in terms of what you listen to first. As soon as these ones are dropping, I'm putting them in my ears straight away. Because yep. I really am curious to see where they develop from. Mm -hmm. I still don't really know what's going, but it's only story two out of eight or nine. And the actual story itself in the middle of it all hung together really well, which worked well. So that's what I'm recommending. I, yeah, I'm, in, I'm enjoying them. I really hope they go somewhere well by the anniversary. What about you, Dwayne? What are you going to recommend? Well, it's very strange and coincidental that you mentioned Benny Summerfield because I'm going to mention some Bennies that I've been listening to and I decided to start from the very beginning. Um, don't ask me where I get all the time to listen to anything else besides what we have to. Are for you the listening podcast. to all the Bennies, Dwayne? What a great thing to do. I've started uh, a while back and I've, I've, I'm in the middle of the Time War, uh, the Time Ring trilogy. So. I've just finished listening to Birthright. There's three stories in that. So I'd recommend if, if you are a fan of particularly the 90s books, uh, you can... I can't remember if the 90s books, these were purely standalone Bennies. I think the Doctor was in them and they've removed the Doctor for the Benny stories. Is that some, right? Some, some, of them, some of them had the Doctor, some of them didn't. So that's, Right. The, they, audios, they, don't, the no, audios don't have the Doctor because this is still the time when Big Finish didn't have the license to make Doctor Who yet. So this is their Except first series. Colin Baker is in Birthright. Is that right? Colin Baker is in Birthright doing yeah, his Russian, yeah. Russian, Russian accent. Yes, that's right. He's Russian. Uh, Walking to Babylon, the first story written by Kate Orman. Well, the the novel was written by Kate Orman, adapted by Jack Rayner. Uh, Birthright was written by Nigel Robinson. So another uh, well-known author. He did mention he was in in Walking to Babylon. Of course. Liz Sladen, and then Just War is the final one in that trilogy. With the Lance, was it Lance Parkin that wrote that one? It Can't is. remember. I was going to say Evelyn mm. Smythe, but no, it's Maggie. Maggie Stables. Maggie Stables. Is she in that one? She is, she's the one who owns the hotel that she's Betty's staying at. That's Maggie right. Stables. Yeah. She's just a wonderful again in that. And it's, it's interesting to go back and hear how different 
the production standards are because we've always loved Big Finish. We always think they're fantastic. But there is a – I mean, it, it is over 20 years ago now. It's almost 25 years ago now. Almost 25 years. That, that this was done. So I think they would have been recording in 98, maybe 97. They were doing these. So it's very interesting to listen to these. You've got some of those – well-known Doctor Who actors who are guesting in there that have yet to appear in an official Doctor Who audio play. And Benny's just a great character. So, you know, I I, I just love Lisa Bowman. And, uh, and Stephen I, Ferrell, too. Ferrell? Fuel? Fuel? Is it Fuel? Fuel? I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. But he's he's superb. And he, mm. he and Lisa together work so well together. Yeah, they play that relationship really nicely. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's not going to be a... A fast listen through the Benny releases. I'll listen to one whenever I can get the chance to. But once I get through season one, it'll be a little bit easier because the stories are single parts instead of the long double CDs. I'm still in the double CDs at the moment. But once we get to the singles, I might be able to find an hour here or there to race through them a bit more quickly. But that's what I would recommend. If you and and then they're not very expensive, so you go back and listen to all these early Bennies. You you're, you're in for a treat. Yeah, you really are. I, and I've actually bought the audiobooks because I, I have an intent. I, my dream is to listen to them all again to an order, but also listen to... Cause because they, the they, books they, were they wrote, sort of in between, books. weren't they? That's right. They wrote books yep. between the stories, which it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I've, I own the books. I don't have a set of books, but I thought, I know Lisa's really recorded them now too. I, I want to have a whole listen and put in the books. Has she the done right them time. all? Are they all finished? I think she's done the first six or seven. And then the, the last ones to come out, she also did them at the time. So I, I'm curious to know actually that if they're all out. I think she did five. I can't remember how many paperbacks there were. I need, I need to look at that. But anyhow, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I love talking about Benny. And, and I have bought those as well, the audiobook version. So, yeah, I might have to I might have to get a chronology somewhere and work out where to slot them in. Yeah, I have so, one on my phone. I did, yeah. I, I, I did download one from the, from the oh, did you? Some, Someone put it all in order on the web, and I put a copy on my phone with oh, intention. So if you find it, this. send me a copy, and I'll I'll, I'll get you. serious about it. Yeah, God, it's worth it. Maybe we can maybe we can do it together, and maybe just go through the whole Benny series over cool. however long the Sirens of Audio goes for. <laughs> Could be a while. Yeah. Well, if you're, you're still getting through season one because there's still the one. There's still one another one after that, which has um, unit actor in it. Mike Yates. Oh, Richard Franklin. Richard Franklin. He plays the big that's bad. That's Dragon's Wrath, isn't it? Dragon's Wrath. The last one, is that's, he's playing the big bad in that one. Yep. Yeah. Or well, well, maybe I should have a listen to the whole first series again and we can um, do a review of season one of Benny. Sounds good. Mm. Sounds good. All right. It's been a pleasure to have your company, Philip. You know that. I know. And yeah, you know me and my passion. I've got passion about a few things today. Even though yeah, you can't all my musical stuff out, but that's okay. Oh, sorry, you can you can <laughs> have it in your private collection. Indeed. All right, <laughs> and thanks very much to Glenn McCready. All right, we will catch you all next time. Bye, everyone. This has been the Sirens of Audio episode 162. Please don't pester the team with our guest Glenn McCready and your hosts Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Original theme music composed by Joe Kramer. Our website is sirensofaudio.com. Comment below to let us know what you thought of the episode or contact us via email at sirensofaudio at gmail.com or any one of our socials. The handle is at audio sirens. Thanks for listening, audiophiles. 
We'll hear you next time.